The podcast about everything is an Hour of the Wolf studio production. Hi, this is Michael Allison. Welcome to the podcast about everything. Hey everybody, it's been a while. As a matter of fact, it's been since July since I've been able to record a podcast. A lot's happened since then. Big mural project, uh, birth of a great-grandchild, finding a kitten in the backyard. All these things kind of eat up your time. So I'm finally now, as the end of the year is approaching, getting back to recording. And since the basic point of this podcast was to talk about everything, but especially about folklore, I thought we'd start out with two stories from Pennsylvania. The first one I'm going to tell you involves werewolves, a topic we've covered before on the podcast. As a matter of fact, we've covered them a couple of times. But this one comes to us from Northumberland County, and it was first written down by a man named Henry W. Showmaker. And Henry W. Shoemaker was a really interesting guy. Uh, He was born in 1880 and lived until 1958. Um, He was a historian, a diplomat, a writer, a publisher, a conservationist, and most importantly for us, a folklorist. Uh, He was born in New York City, but spent most of his life here in Pennsylvania. Uh, He was uh, involved with the Roosevelt family. His family was involved with them. Uh, And he was back then what was considered a progressive Republican. And he was very much interested in the conservation of the American landscape. Uh, He uh, spent some time on Wall Street. Uh, as an investment counselor and a stockbroker. But then he turned to publishing, and he ran newspapers in Reading, Altoona, and Jersey Shore, Pennsylvania. The one in Altoona was called the Altoona Gazette. Um, He began student publications when he was at Columbia University, but he was really interested in tying the folklore of the first settlers, or as he called them, the mountain folk, to the uh, landscape of Pennsylvania. And he urged people who were writing about folklore to try to do the same because he was really interested in preserving the Pennsylvania landscape, including the wild and woolly wooded areas in the northern part of the state. So he he wrote a lot. He wrote several books. Uh, He wrote a lot of folklore stories and published them not only uh, in the newspapers that he ran, but uh, also in the form of various um, articles for magazines and, as I said before, several books. Um, He really laid the groundwork for more serious folklorists who would come along during his lifetime. And he um, sometimes was known to embellish stories. So we'll Take his story um, with a grain of salt, 
As I said, it's about the Northumberland werewolf. So, back in the 1940s, there are a lot of sightings of strange things in Pennsylvania, especially in the Cook Forest area of northwestern PA. Um, a few witnesses who saw this mysterious creature described it as hairy and moving very quick. It would disappear into the trees after one quick glimpse. Nobody could get much of a sighting, much less come up with an explanation for what people were thinking they were seeing. The creature became known as the Clariton What Is It, after Clarion County, where Cook Forest is located. Nobody seemed to figure out what it was, and nowadays no one reports seeing this thing, um, despite all the Dogman and uh, Yeti Bigfoot sightings all over Pennsylvania. Uh, but one explanation that some people have put forward is that it might be a werewolf. And it fits in with a very old legend. So this is, as I said before, came to us from Henry Showmaker. And um, his th theory was that this sighting was actually of a werewolf and that werewolf or werewolves were traveling the whole way from Northumberland County to visit this place in Clarion County. And there was a reason for their visit. Supposedly, they'd visit a cemetery uh, just a little south of Clarion, checking in on the grave of a young woman who is named Elizabeth Paul. Now, I've seen her name recorded as Mary and May Paul. But we'll go with Elizabeth right now because this is the name that Henry Schumacher used. She didn't live in Clarion County. She lived outside of what's known as the Pennsylvania Wilds, and she lived on a farm in Northumberland County. When she was there, she was a very young woman, and this would have been about 1830. Now, there was something peculiar about her. Most of the people around her, fa her family farm were German immigrants who were starting out. They brought lots of superstitions with them, as the immigrants all did in the early days of Pennsylvania. And they brought their own sense of morality, too. So the story is that Elizabeth was in love with an older man. And since she was very young, that bothered her family. But what bothered him even more was he was quite eccentric. He was a hermit who lived in a little cabin in the woods and who didn't really want to interact with anyone else in the, in the region except for Elizabeth Paul. Supposedly, the two of them would meet up at night. She would sneak out uh, when her family was asleep uh, they had a farm, and like a lot of their neighbors, they raised sheep. Uh, they would meet up at night, though the story is that they wouldn't meet up when the moon was full. They would sit on a fallen log and talk for hours and watch the family's flock of sheep. Needless to say, her family wasn't thrilled with this because of this man's eccentricity, the fact he was a hermit, the fact that he looked to be 
I don't know, 30, 40, 50 years older than her. But one nice thing was whenever they were together, nothing ever happened to the sheep. And the reason that's important is because there were local wolf packs in this area of northeastern Pennsylvania. And uh, they would often attack herds of sheep and, you know, kill them and eat them. So because of this strange luck that they were having with their sheep, uh, they tolerated their daughter's uh, friendship with this odd, eccentric old man. So one night, uh, the wolf, well, actually, it wasn't some night. The wolf attacks just increased exponentially. And many of the farmers in this valley where the farms were set up uh, were losing sheep right and left. And they actually put a bounty out for people who would kill uh, kill the wolves. So they went out hunting for wolves, and every now and then they'd shoot one. But, you know, it didn't seem to stop the the attacks on the herds. The only thing that seemed to stop the attacks on the herds was Elizabeth Paul's uh, friendship with this eccentric hermit who lived in a cabin in the woods. So one night, one of the local men saw a really large wolf. He thought, this has to be the male that leads the packs. He said it was really large and kind of strange looking. He shot at it. He hit it. It was wounded and it staggered off into the forest. So the next morning, when he felt a little safer, he went looking for it. He went out and he wanted the $25 reward that was offered by the other farmers And he saw where he had hit it, and he saw a blood pool, so he tracked the blood. As he went further and further into the forest, he got closer and closer to the old hermit's hut. When he found the body, it wasn't a dead wolf. It wasn't an animal at all. It was the old hermit laying dead with a bullet through his heart. Laying on his back, he was shot through the heart, is this how the story goes? And when they rolled him over, the hunter, or the farmer, noticed that his teeth were long and yellow, like a wolf's. And there were stiff hairs, like bristles, on the underside of his hands, and even on the soles of his bare feet. So they drugged the man back, And they buried him. Some parts of the story say uh, they buried him where they found him. But another part says that they took him to his cabin, dug up the dirt floor, buried him in the cabin, and buried him there. Then burned the cabin to the ground. We don't know which one is the truth. But uh, this story continues. The uh, place where they buried the old man um, was uh, known by the locals as Die Wolfman Grab, which means the Wolfman's Grave. Um, when Elizabeth Paul heard the news, she was devastated because she truly loved the old man. 
mean, there was no indication this was any kind of sexual relationship, just a really strong bond between a young woman and an old man who was an outcast. Uh, she refused to listen to any gossip about her. Um, she steadfastly refused to believe that he had been a werewolf. Uh, however, whenever she was sent out to tend the sheep, her family's sheep were always safe. And as claimed, an old gray wolf would watch her from a distance. Sort of the same way the old hermit had watched over her. The wolves continued to raid local farms and carry off sheep and lambs, but they never came anywhere near uh, the farm owned by Elizabeth's family. The old gray wolf was always standing guard at a distance and would actually drive the other wolf packs away. Wolves were killed, driven off after the decades went on. As for the old gray wolf, it made a final appearance around the time of Mary's death. However, what's interesting about this is Mary didn't die in Northumberland County. Much later on, she, uh, she moved uh, to an area near Cook Forest in Clarion County. And they say that a wolf will come at night and guard her grave there in Cook Forest, where she died in 1905, and protect it. And to this day, reports of canines that sometimes walk on their hind legs are still noted in the area. Maybe it's the spirit of the old hermit transformed permanently into a werewolf guarding her grave. Or maybe there's another clan of werewolves in Clarion County. We'll never know. So when we come back, we'll have the story of the murder in the witch house. Well, we're back, and this time we have a story that's not a piece of folklore, but actually comes from an article from the York, Pennsylvania Town Square, which is their local newspaper. This is a story of a murder that happened in York County. It's called the Hex Hollow Murder, and it gained national uh, notice about 90 years ago. So, what's the story? Well, it happened in 1928, right around Thanksgiving, right about the time we're approaching now. And three men assaulted a farmer late one night in a remote southeastern York County Valley called uh, Ray Myers Hollow. So, first off, why is the hollow called Ray Myers Hollow? Well, it was settled by the father of Nelson Raymire, who named it after himself and established a farm there. And this farm was now owned by his son, Nelson. So why would this man be killed? Was it a random theft or was there something else going on? Well, let's talk about 
the killers. Uh, John Blymeyer, who was about 30 years old, he actually was the leader of the gang. Um, and he, his accomplices were two teenagers, uh, Wilbert Hess, who was 18, and John Curry, who was 14. So what was all this about? Well, okay, so Nelson Raymeyer was married and estranged from his wife and his kids and lived alone. He was a recluse. He was very much an oddball. Uh, politically, people whispered behind his back that he was a socialist, uh, which put him sort of out of sync with his neighbors. But most importantly to our story is he practiced powwow. Now, if you've listened to the podcast in the past, you've heard us talk about powwow, and that is a type of folk magic among the Pennsylvania Germans. It was a group of healing rituals uh, and protective spells called white magic. Uh, and most of these were derived from what was considered to then to be the Bible of the powwower, a book called The Long Lost Friend, which was published in the early 19th century. And to let you know how benign this, actually, this white magic actually was, here's a cure for both hysteria and colds. This must be attended to every evening. That is, whenever you pull off your shoes and stockings, Run your finger between all your toes and then smell it. This will certainly affect a cure. Plus, the book was full of basically Christian prayers asking for the Trinity, for Christ, for the Virgin Mary, and for all the saints to intervene in the activities of us mere mortals by making us invisible to thieves, uh, curing our horses, curing our calls of colic, and many other things like that. So what, what caused this incredible act against this seemingly benign man? So let's look at John Blymer, the, the guy who was the leader of this murderous gang. Um, in 1928, he had a really bad year. Um, he was kind of what we nowadays would call a loser, couldn't hold down a steady job, didn't have any real skills. His, life, his wife had left him. Two of his three children had died in childbirth. Uh, he couldn't stay regularly employed. And he just kind of wandered aimlessly through the streets of York and the surrounding countryside. Um, he drank a lot. And he had, for a while, studied under Nelson Raymar because he felt he wanted to be a powwower thinking that he could make money that way. So after a while, he became convinced that his hard luck and his misfortune wasn't caused by his own ineptitude, his own stupidity, his drunkenness, but rather on a curse that had been put on him by Nelson Raymar. So, he didn't know what quite what to do about this, and he knew his life was steadily getting worse. And he actually admit, imagined that evil spirits and witches were all around him. So he consulted uh, in Lancaster County 
with a witch known as the River Witch of Marietta. And um, he asked her what to do. Well, this woman was pretty conniving. She had a very bad reputation. Um, so they decided to um, uh, give him a, 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 a pursuit of, of liberating himself from this, uh, from this curse. So what, he was, what they were supposed to do was to um, get a lock of Nelson Raymire's hair and also find his copy of The Long Lost Friend. Take those two items, uh, dig a hole six feet behind the barn, and bury them. And that was going to break the spell. So the first night, they kind of checked things out. Uh, they went over to his house, and um, that Mr. Hess and John Blymeyer uh, visited Nelson and uh, spent the evening chatting with him and talking him, to him about powwowing and such things, just kind of checking things out. Now, Nelson was a big man. He was quite strong. And they figured, well, we better get another person. So they brought in a, the 14-year-old and went to his house and broke in. However, as they were rifling through the house, Nelson Raymire returned, caught them, and he put up a fight. They calmed him down a little bit and said all they needed was his copy of his long-lost friend and hair, but that just enraged him, and he started you know, fighting with them again. So there was an even more intense struggle so they finally knocked him down and tied him to a chair and then beat him a death, to death. They clipped a lock of his hair, but they weren't able to find his copy of the long-lost friend. And knowing that he could identify them, they beat him to death, and then they set the body on fire. And they fled the crime scene. About a day later, it was Thanksgiving Day, uh, his neighbors noted that his animals on Ray Meyer's farm were unfed and they came back and they found him. So he was, he was buried and laid to rest in Sadler's church cemetery in Blymire or, or in, excuse me, in Ray Meyer hollow. Uh, Blymire, Hess and Curry were almost immediately arrested and ordered to stand trial. All three were convicted and given life sentences. And in the testimony, the role of witchcraft and spells and curses and all such things like that came to light. And uh, with these elements, this trial made international news. So um, all three of the defendants were eventually released after serving time. Uh, John Curry became fairly well-known. Uh, he became an artist and served in World War II. He was a cartographer on Eisenhower's staff in World War II, and his paintings 
are hang hang in the homes of several people from York's County. Um, this yeah, this sounds almost laughable in its stupidity, but this man was killed in a horrible, gruesome manner. Um, and also it points out the fact that John Blymeyer was seriously mentally ill and could have really benefited from some good psychological help. Um, so that's the story. The house didn't burn down. It still stands. And uh, you can go see it. You have to book special pa- a special trip and have a tour of the area and hear the legend and the folklore behind this murder. But the main thing is the place where his body was burned, where he was tied to the chair, is preserved under a piece of plexiglass. And the house still stands. And the legends are, to this very day, it's haunted by the curse of this person who was killed. And hence, the area is now known, not uh, not anymore as Raymire's Hollow, but as Hex Hollow. So that's it for this little brief podcast. I hope you enjoyed these two stories. And we'll be back shortly with some more podcasts, some more information, some more interviews, some more subjects that will cover just about everything. And uh, also a new theme song and sign-off. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope if you enjoyed it enough, you'll subscribe. You'll uh, hit the like button on whatever uh, podcasting platform you listen to us on and that you will maybe consider writing a nice uh, review of what we've been doing so far because that helps us get more attention on the podcast platforms. So that's all for now. And as our sign-off says, go out and be excellent to each other. Bye-bye. We want to thank you for listening to the podcast about everything. It's our ambition to continue to engage with people from all walks of life and to engage with them on a variety of subjects. The podcast about everything can be heard on Anchor, iTunes, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook at the podcast about everything and on Twitter at the podcast about three. Be sure and hit those like buttons and subscribe buttons. Our theme music is Electronic Rock King Around Here by Alex Grohl, courtesy of our friends at Pixabay. Pixabay is a great place for royalty-free music, sound effects, and photography. That's all for now. See you next time on the podcast about everything.